I want to tell you something, and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life. From innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition, to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory, I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else. And this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes. And we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week, followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com. I could not be more excited to introduce to you our newest launch in our Plant Strong food line. It's our new pancake and waffle mixes. They come in three super exciting flavors. We have a seven grain. We have a sweet potato and ancient grain. Both are organic. And we have, for all of you that have been clamoring for gluten-free, we also have a home-style gluten-free pancake and waffle mixes. We just launched these three days ago. And I want you to know that forever I have been making waffles from scratch because there wasn't a mix available that was made with clean whole grains and without all the processed flours, the powdered milks, all the, the sugars, and of course, always some sort of oils. And let me tell you, the waffles that you can make with this mix, they taste absolutely decadent. They rise perfectly, brown perfectly, bubble nicely. You're going to love them. And the great news is you don't have to wait for the weekend to make them. You just add water or your plant-based milk of choice, stir, and then you pour into either the pan or the waffle maker. It's up to you. So, check them out. Go to plantstrongfoods.com. I want you to know that they're loaded with fiber, loaded with protein. They're going to satisfy your cravings and the whole family will absolutely love them. Thanks so much. I'm Rip Esselstyn and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. 
We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to speak at a plant-based nutrition support group known as PBNSG, and on this call, I met a health and nutrition coach, and her name was Sid Nodder. And even though Sid has been vegetarian since around 1991, she still ran into health issues because she simply didn't realize how much junk that she was consuming. And I'm talking about all of those things that we try and stay away from here at Plant Strong, all the added oils, the refined sugars, the processed grains, and of course, all of the, the dairy. And it wasn't until around 1999 that Sid turned to a fully whole food plant-based diet. And that is when her life and her career took off like a skyrocket. Today, she is 67 years old and thriving as a busy health and nutrition coach. She's also a writer and speaker, and she holds just about every plant-based certification on the planet and works each day to really inspire and educate others, which is a wonderful calling to have. Now, because Sid works a lot with people who are just learning the how-tos of a whole food, plant-based, oil-free lifestyle, we're going to center our discussion today around some of the biggest barriers to making this change. So what are some of the things I'm talking about? All the family pressures that go with changing your your diet, denial of your own health issues, the fear of being the high-maintenance one in the room, eating out at restaurants, and several more. Every one of these is important to get out in the open, on the table, so to speak, and discuss because no matter what change you're trying to make, you're always going to run up against obstacles. And the biggest question is, what will your response be? It is my hope that when you're faced with some of these barriers, that you'll put yourself and your health first. And thanks to this conversation with Sid, you'll leave today armed with plenty of inspiration to stand your ground and stay the Plan Strong course. Please welcome Sid Notter. All right, Sid Notter, welcome to the Plan Strong podcast. Hello, good morning, Rip. Thanks for having me on today. My absolute pleasure, Sid. You know, we met for the first time, it was probably the very beginning of January. I was doing a little presentation for uh, PBNSG. For people that don't know what PBNSG is, can you let everybody know? Sure, that stands for the Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group. And that's out of what city? Well, Paul Chatlin, the founder, is from Michigan. But do they have, they don't have locations all over the country, do they? 
not no. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, yeah. it's online. It's an online streaming platform for people that want support with uh, their whole food plant based diet, either transition or or tips to stay motivated with it. It's just a, a resource group for yeah. support. Yeah, it's a wonderful resource. And and you were kind of moderating my my presentation. And in meeting you, I realized that you are quite the nutrition educator, author, and you've been delving into this lifestyle for many years. So I'd love to pick your brain for a little bit this morning. Well, yeah, over 30 years ago, uh, some vegetarian friends invited us over for dinner. And we thought, oh, that's going to be weird, but it might be fun too. So let's go see. And so <laughs> we went to their house for dinner and they explained their reasons for eating a vegetarian diet was for animal uh, welfare reasons. And we loved animals. So we kind of tiptoed into that a little bit. But shortly after that, I ran into a class quite by accident, which was sponsored by the Wellness Forum, which was Dr. Pam Popper. Yes, yeah, Columbus. Yeah. So I went to that four-week class and thinking, oh, I was already doing things so right because I had given up meat. But I was still eating Hostess cupcakes and eggs and cheese and junk. I mean, it was horrible, you know, but I didn't know. I didn't know any better. So I went to that class thinking I was already doing a healthy diet and my eyes were just like boop, wide open <laughs> to the fact that I was not eating healthy at all and that, you know, I needed to make some serious changes. So my transition was a slow one. I went from unhealthy vegetarian to unhealthy vegan mm. and finally to whole food plant-based, no oil, maybe 15 years ago now. So it was a 30-year journey for me, a, a long journey, but um, I always tell people don't transition as long as I did, you know, jump yeah. in now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sid, tell me this. You've got a very unique first name. I don't know if I've ever met a Sid before, maybe a, a, a male Sid, but, and your name is spelled C-Y-D. I'm actually watching right now on HBO uh, Succession. And there's a Sid there, a high powered female uh, that runs kind of his news department. But I'm wondering, where did you get the name Sid? It was a nickname given to me when I was working at our local nuclear power plant, actually. I was actually an inspector there at the nuclear power plant. And um, they they started calling me Sydney because there was a man there that had adenoid troubles. And, you know, there was no holds barred about teasing people or making fun of people in that environment. So he would call me Sydney just because he couldn't say my name correctly. And they all started calling me that. And then they started calling me Sid Vicious, was which was like a rock group back in the oh, 80s. Yes. You know, like, I think that was crazy. the I think that was the Sex Pistols, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and I wasn't familiar with them at all. But anyway, that's how the name stuck. And from there, it it stuck. That was back in the 70s. <laughs> wow. Well, so what is your given name? My given name is Cynthia, but I grew up as Cindy, you know, throughout my childhood. So when I run into people and they say, Cindy, I know they're from the way long ago past. <laughs> right. Thank you for that little uh, explanation. Now, when you decided to go uh, from an unhealthy vegetarian to a unhealthy vegan and then to whole food plant based, was there a reason? Did you have any, were you overweight, high cholesterol, any? Anything going on health-wise? Yeah, so my cholesterol was over 200. This is, was in my mid-30s. 
um, I had been diagnosed with osteopenia. Okay. So my bones were starting mm -hmm. to thin and I had constant colds. I mean, all winter and a lot during the summer too, I had colds all the time. So my immune system was horrible. Okay. Got it. And how, how, how has your immune system been functioning the last 15 or so years? It's been wonderful. I rarely get sick now. Mm -hmm. And my family history is dire. I mean, it's filled with heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes. You know, grandma was blind from diabetes. My dad was an insulin dependent, you know, diabetic. So I have a long family history of dire things, which I didn't want to go down that path either, you know. And I didn't, wasn't even aware of that rip until probably in my 50s. Like, wow, you know, I don't want to go down that path that even my siblings have gone down. So, uh I'm the only one in the family. I'm 67 years old right now and in good health. Nobody you, reaches 67 in my family without being on at least five medicines. <laughs> right. So you said you're one of how many brothers and sisters? I have one sister who unfortunately has had a stroke a year ago and is now bedridden and we're caring for her to some degree. And um, my brother, I had one brother, he died in 2020 of lung cancer. There he is with my dad. That's my dad and my brother tending bar at my dad's bar, which was called Campo's Lounge. You know, lounge is just kind of a fancy word for tavern. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's my mom in the lower right. She ran a little tiny pizza kitchen out of that same establishment. So um, growing up, Rip, I had all the pizza and root beer floats I could handle because I'd go in there with my mom during the day. And she made everything from scratch, the dough, the sauce. They even made their own sausage. <laughs> Some, wow. So it was truly an Italian kitchen that had the best reputation, you know, in the whole area. And this, so I would go in yeah. there after school and she'd roll out a little piece of dough for me and let me make my own pizza, you know, and then she'd slide it in the oven. And of course, it was it was always uh, tons of mozzarella, you know, shredded mozzarella and sausage and peppers. And then while that was cooking, I'd go stroll behind my dad's bar because this was during the day. You know, typically there weren't very many patrons in there at the time. And he had those frosted beer mugs. So mm. I'd get a beer mug and then I, he had vanilla ice cream for when they made like grasshoppers, you know, and drinks that are made with ice cream. So I'd go fill that up with ice cream. And then he had root beer on tap. So I would... <laughs> I had the best black cows, you know, root beer floats that you oh. can ever imagine. So that was like a daily thing. And then he had a candy bar rack too, which I'd help myself to on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> can you remember uh, what was your favorite candy bar back then? It was Snickers. Yeah. And he had gum, gum and Snickers. And he'd say, yeah, just put some money on the bar there, kook, as you leave, you know, as a joke, because he called yeah. me kook. That was his nickname <laughs> for me. So you can see where my sugar, sugar addiction could have started at an early age, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so your mom and dad were kind of entrepreneurial. So they, they, your dad was the owner of a bar and your mom had inside the, the lounge area had this pizza joint. Is that right? That's right. They were very, um, they made their own way. My dad was a World War II vet who hitchhiked home after the war. I mean, you know, they didn't even have a ride. <laughs> And from there, uh, they really started with nothing and they built, you know, a growing business with their hard work. You know, they really had a good work ethic. Yeah. And, and my so dad's motto was, if you're going to make money in business, you've got to put it in yourself, the time, you know, they didn't hire very many people. They did all the work themselves typically. Yeah. 
where did exactly did you grow up and where was this lounge? The lounge is in Cole City, Illinois, which is an hour south of Chicago in a small town, small rural towns. Was it nice growing up there? It was very nice. Yeah, small town. There were 74 people in my class of 74, you know, the whole high school. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Have you gone back to uh, any of your reunions? I, once in a while, they have something here called the Reunion Palooza, where all the classes meet at the local uh, park. Mm -hmm. So no matter what year you graduated, you go there and you meet up with your class. Yeah. So that happens every summer. I would imagine that you are one of the few that, you know, people are like, wow, you know, uh, well, they probably don't call you Sid. They probably call you by your original name. But <laughs> Cynthia, uh, what in the world are you doing? I want some of what you have. Yeah, not too often. This is the, the Midwest is a tough nut to crack, Rip, when it comes to getting people to Okay. Change, be interested in <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, you wrote a book that came out in 2000 and late 2019, 2020, uh, called The Plan A Diet. Yeah. There she blows right there. Combining whole food, plant-based nutrition with the timeless wisdom of scripture. Yeah, there's uh, so many principles in scripture, not preachy type things, but principles like um, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Okay, so mm -hmm. that's a verse. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that apply to our food, right? <laughs> we fit into our culture without even thinking all the time when it comes to our food. Yeah. Um, another principle would be that we're going to reap what we sow. So whatever we plant, you know, we're going to grow and harvest. And that applies to our choices. So if we sow the seeds of an unhealthy diet, we're going to reap illness and you know, early disease and all of that. But if we're sowing the seeds of a healthy diet, we're going to reap optimal health and the less risk of disease. So I wrote a book combining all the things I noticed um, as I was one of the Bible teachers at our school or, or at our church at the time uh, for the women's group. You know, for many years, I helped facilitate a Bible group there. So that's when I began to see how all the verses we're tying in with healthy eating. And so that's what I wrote the book about. It took me five years to write it because I dragged wow. my feet. I did not want to write a book. <laughs> well, then what uh, I'm always I'm always interested because writing a book is quite an endeavor. And what when you say you didn't want to write a book, but you did write a book. So who uh, put that seed in your head or why did you decide to write the book? Well, that was pretty much divine intervention, Rip, because I started noticing, again, the correlation between principles from scripture and healthy eating and how they tied together. And just one night in 2013, I'll never forget it. I was so inspired that you are going to write this in a book. And I said, no, you know, I, don't. <laughs> I have no desire to write a book. But the ideas were flooding my mind so fast. I was writing them down as fast as I could think. And I mean, it was just my mind was flooded with what I had the chapters laid out the first night. I mean, that's how direct I knew mm. I was supposed to write this book. So isn't that interesting? You know, um, with with the engine Two diet, I actually had kind of a Jerry Maguire evening as well once where I woke up at 2 a.m. and I went out into the kitchen and I put the whole bones together for the book. Like each one of the, the chapters, I think I closed my little notebook at 7 a.m. and 
yeah, it's like funny. You have this muse that just kind of visits you <laughs> one night and you're like, okay, let's, let's do this. <laughs> but then, like I said, I dragged my feet for yeah. five years. So I, I, it took me four and a half years to write the first half of the book. And then I gave myself a little kick in the pants, like 2018. I said, that's it. You know, you're either going to do this or get off the pot, right? (laughs) So then I wrote as much in six months as I had written in four and a half years. And the first writer's conference that I went to, I was made an offer. So that's very unusual too. Mm. So that things just fell into place for me. And why is it called the plan A? I mean, is that just like an A and like an, you know, an A grade in school? No, because when we say something is our plan A, it's our first choice, right? Our most beneficial choice. Hmm. You know, what's our plan A? That's one big reason. So this should be your plan A for disease reversal, for, uh, you know, prevention of disease, for the environment, for animals. And it was God's plan A diet, right? The garden. There was no meat for the first 1700 years in scripture. There's no meat. So Mm. God's plan A was plants. (laughs) That's the big reason. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so let's, you know what I'd love to um, cover with you and I'll, I'll kind of um, toss these out to you, but you in this book, you talk about some of the biggest barriers to making this change. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't mind, I'll toss out some of the, some of these big barriers and then let's just kind of talk about each one. All right. Sure. So this first one is ignorance. What, what what do you have to say about ignorance? Well, there's two types of ignorance. Blind ignorance is if you've really never been exposed to the message of how diet affects your health. And with today's information, you know, overload, that's hard to believe somebody could be in blind ignorance. And I'm sure anybody that's watching your podcast would not fall into that category. But the other one, which I see quite often, is willful ignorance, where they they're apathetic about changing their diet. They just don't care. And they don't care about the consequences of eating an unhealthy diet either. So when that happens, um, and I talk about this in the book too, just little tips, you have to discover why you're apathetic about your health. You know, is it too stressful to think about changing? Uh, Do you have low self-esteem? There's many reasons that could contribute to willful ignorance. But it is, it is a common thing where people bury their heads in the sand, right? They don't want to know about it because that would require them to change. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have found so fascinating over the last 20 plus years myself is I sometimes think that, oh, yeah, this person, they'll like jump in. They'll be all gung-ho to get it. And this person, oh, God, there's no way they have any interest in it. But what I've discovered is you just never know. Some of the people that you think would do it like easily struggle. The people you think there's no way in the world they do it, they like jump in. So I just usually try and present it in the best way I can, um, not be judgmental, and then see kind of, you know, what what happens a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, fear of change. A lot of people are afraid, aren't they? They are because fear sort of disturbs our perceptions. So when we're asked to do something unfamiliar or step out of our comfort zone 
or maybe we're asked to learn new ways to shop and cook, or we're facing changes in our routines and habits, that's when fear of change can leave us stymied, right? We can't move forward because we're, we're filled with fear. Even if you've failed in the past, you might fear another failure. So the uh, antidote for that is to really do some soul searching and, and figure out what is what are you afraid of truly. Write down anything that might fall into that category and then evaluate those fears, like read them out loud and just do they even sound legitimate? You know, because oftentimes they're not. They're just things that we have in our brain that, you know, it's going to be uh, too hard to step out of my comfort zone. But write down your fears, really evaluate them to see if they're legitimate. Because if, even if those fears came to fruition, would they even pose a danger to, to yourself or to someone else? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the <clears throat> one of the bullet points you have there under fear of change is a new way to shop and cook. And for some people, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big fear that if you've been eating a certain way your whole life, and then you all of a sudden you're asking people to buy, you know, all these things that they think are outside their, outside their comfort zone, there's a certain maybe potentially legitimate fear there that they have to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I get that too. I get yeah. that because I've been there, you know, the first, how about you, Rip? Did you transition gradually or did you jump in with both feet? No, I had the fortune, the good fortune of, I was at the University of Texas at Austin. And whenever I came home for either Christmas break or spring break or summers, I got to see my parents that were, I mean, they were, you know, neck deep into this new lifestyle that my father started with my mother in 1984. So I had almost three years of watching and witnessing and also trying this food before I went all in, in 1987, when I graduated from, from college. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was, for me, it was, a. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a gradual exposure over three years. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about another, another big barrier that you've identified uh, to change, which is avoidance of pain. Yeah, I love this one. Um, avoidance of pain is when we're unwilling to endure the short-term trials that are necessary to achieve long-term gain. So when you switch to a different way of eating, uh, your taste buds are going to change, right? Your bowel habits are going to change. You're going to have to take time to learn to cook and shop differently. So anything that's viewed as a hassle. So this doesn't mean physical pain per se. It means anything you view as a hassle. Mm -hmm. So if you're not willing to endure the hassles, you're not going to achieve the long-term gain, basically. So this whole principle came from a book that I read many years ago by Dr. Henry Cloud. It was called Never Go Back, 10 Things I'll Never Do Again. And this was a whole chapter, was avoidance of pain. And uh, the author said, anything of value has this rhythm, pain first and pay off later. And again, that doesn't mean physical pain. It just, anything we view as, you know, too much trouble. Mm -hmm. Can you give me another example of something in our lives where we have pain first, but pay off later? Uh, exercise might be another one, right? Mm. You might mm -hmm. get a little sore at first if you're exercising. Um, I think anything budgeting, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it might be hard to go on a budget at first, but later on you're going to have money in the bank. So yeah, I think it applies to many things in life. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like this morning, I, I got up at six Oh five to go to swim practice. And it was, it wasn't the last thing I wanted to do, but it wasn't top of my list, but I did it because I know how fantastic I'll feel as soon as that's over at about seven o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And it sets me up for a spectacular day. Awesome. Yeah. The author points out too, that many successful business people, as you would know, I'm sure you've gone through a lot of hassle, right? With your business in order to see a gain. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Quite the grind. Quite the grind. <laughs> Got to keep grinding. Um, all right. Let's, let's move on to another big barrier. And that is you've identified your ingrained habits. Oh, man, I'm a creature of habit. I don't know about you, Rip. <laughs> but habits are good, right? Habits can be very good. But when we're so dependent on an unhealthy eating pattern that it's preventing us from making changes, that's when, you know, the habits have become so ingrained that it's preventing us from being able to change. Mm -hmm. So um, I've seen that many times and I can understand it because I'm, like I said, I'm a big creature of habit too. So the, the trick is to redirect our energy toward those positive habits rather than negative. And you're, this would require identifying what those new habits are going to be. So uh, instead of Pop-Tarts in the morning, you're going to start eating oatmeal and fruit. You know, it, instead of having... Um, a Ben and Jerry's ice cream at night, yeah. you're going to make homemade, homemade uh, raspberry sorbet, you know, bananas and raspberries. So you're, you have to figure out what habits you're going to replace with what and then do that for because the same action, if you repeat the same action all the time, you're going to form a routine and then you're going to form new habits. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Swap out really healthy habits for those bad ones. What did you have? What kind of Pop-Tarts did you have this morning for breakfast? <laughs> I didn't, but I made, I had oatmeal sausage. Actually, we have a sausage recipe, you know, that's made out of oatmeal and spice. Wow. So I had that today because that's like a treat. You know, I don't have that all the time. I usually have oatmeal. Oatmeal sausage. Like, give me an idea how you put that together. And does it come out in like, like a sausage or is it uh, like a Bob Evans, like little circle? What is it? Yeah, it's a circle. So you get some water boiling in your pan, add a little Bragg's, a little um, sweetener, like maybe a tablespoon of maple syrup. Yeah. Then you add in, we've got this sausage breakfast, breakfast sausage spice that I found at the farmer's market. So if you don't want to be putting in like all different spices, I just use this as my go-to. So I found it at, in Cape Coral, Florida at the farmer's market. I've never found anything that is near, near uh, as delicious as this spice five teaspoons of spice and then quick oats. And then it boils into a mass and then you, you know, make circles on a baking tray. And then you bake it for a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that sounds kind of time intensive or am I mistaken? It's not, it's not if you have the pre-made spice, you mm -hmm. know, if you had to be adding all the thyme and sage and, you know, if you had to add all the spices, it might be more time consuming. But because I have the pre-made spice, it's basically just water and uh, brags and syrup and spice and oats. <laughs> and how, how many of those little circles did you have? Oh, uh, oh, did I eat today? Yeah, yeah. I ate two. Two. It doesn't sound like much. <laughs> and did you have some fruit with those circles? Yep. Well, I we had um, honeydew today for cantaloupe. 
honeydew. honeydew. Yeah, and how do you honeydew. like how do you how do you like to eat your honeydew? I cube it and eat it with a fork. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Because I you know, I find the thing about the honeydew or cantaloupes or some of these melons is there's a certain pain involved with, okay, I got this thing. What do I do with it? Right. I got to cut this thing up and it's going to be a little time intensive, a little pain in the butt. So I find whenever I can cut it up and then put it in the fridge and I usually put squeeze lemon or lime juice on top of it to kind of mm -hmm. make that flavor really pop. Mm -hmm. It goes, I mean, between the three kids, my wife and myself, we down it. But if we don't take the time to cut it up, it just sits there until it rots. Right. So, yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. I've never heard of the oat sausage before. So yay. Um, all right, let's move on to another one of your big barriers. And that is, which is totally legitimate is false perceptions. Yeah. False perception is what people get it in their mind that um, eating healthy is too hard or too expensive, too time consuming or they believe that the foods are boring or tasteless or bland or will not provide adequate nutrition, which of course we know are all totally false. Yeah. That's when they, they can't move forward because they've got these false perceptions in their mind. Like so the only answer to that, to break through those false perceptions is that you've got to be open-minded about independent research you know, and that's a key point, independent research, which isn't funded by the egg industry or <laughs> the dairy lobby or somebody. Yeah. And then experiment with just easy recipes, right? And then find a community, like um, there's many communities online where you can be encouraged. Mm -hmm. And those false perceptions then could be, um, you know, shattered because you'll you'll find out that the foods are not boring, that they taste delicious. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be expensive. So, no, just just last week we had uh, Tony uh, Okamoto on the show, and she's um, her brand is plant based on a budget, and she just obliterates all those those kind of false perceptions that this way of eating is is expensive, um, and you know you have to be wealthy to eat healthy, which is out there. It's a, certainly a perception that that is out there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's other false perceptions too, like from the people that follow keto and, you know, the other high fat, low carb diets, or, you know, they're, they're just not looking at the independent research yeah. they've been convinced, you know, by those other diets. So sometimes people even have a false perception about how healthy they are. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they think they're healthy because they're on drugs, you know, <laughs> that's got their blood biomarkers being controlled or, they think they're healthier than their neighbor, so they think they're in good health. And, and I see that a lot too. False perception about our own health status is another one. Mm, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I, I would say that if we were to ask 100 people on the street, do you eat healthy or unhealthy? We'd probably have 80% that say they eat healthy when the reality is what they're eating is, is probably very unhealthy. Um, exactly. yeah, another, another false perception, Sid, that I think is unfortunately very real for many people is they're not going to be able to get enough protein. And if they are getting enough protein, it's not a complete source of protein. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> and no matter how much we preach about it, you know, it's still, it's still out there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is unfortunately. Um, all right, let's move on. What about, what about the barrier of denial? 
Oh, well, denial, right, is refusing to acknowledge that there's a problem. And I, I've seen this a lot over the years. They are pretending that a problem doesn't exist. And I always say it, you might even not even recognize that denial is one of your barriers if you are, in fact, in denial, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be hard to think, oh, well, I'm in denial if you're not even willing to admit that, you know, you're, you've got some health issues going on. And again, if they're medicated, you know, they think the problem has been fixed. So they're in denial about their health. And sometimes that can be a coping mechanism, like it's too stressful to deal with trying to change my diet or, you know, it could be a coping mechanism for some other underlying emotion. Mm -hmm. Maybe it, you know, causes them anxiety to think about changing, but it's a big one. In fact, there's a Gallup poll that came out about two years ago. It said that Americans are less and less likely to see themselves as overweight as, you know, as time goes on because everybody around them is overweight. So they're less likely to see themselves as overweight or that they need to take action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. And, um, and according to the CDC, what percentage of us are either overweight or obese? Do you know? Yeah, well, it was sub close to 75% last time I looked, 74 point something. That's three out of four people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. Denial. What's the, there's a joke about the Nile, denial. I can't remember what it is. Denial is a river in Egypt. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So this is, this is, this next barrier I think is, it's very real. All these are very real, but this one is, I'm, I'm intimately acquainted with this one um, because I see so many people that are hanging on to this to the detriment of themselves. And that's pride or rebellion. Mm, right. That's that attitude of superiority. Like you'll never get sick. I've seen people that really believe they will never get sick despite what they eat mm -hmm. or that no one's going to tell them what to eat. So any feedback, you know, about their diet or constructive criticism is viewed as a threat. You know, they, the stop signs go up, they feel threatened by any advice and that can be a sign of pride I mean, there's healthy pride and there's unhealthy pride. So unhealthy pride is when your ego takes over, right? Rather than um, common sense, like you feel you're superior to other people. Yeah. And I yeah. have seen people with this condition even try to sabotage the efforts of other people, usually in their own family. Like if their family members are trying to eat healthy, they will even try to sabotage that by tempting them with different foods or you know, it's just, they're trying to keep everybody uh, down with them, like the crabs in the bucket or whatever the thing is. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the, yeah. The Go antidote ahead. to that would be, and this is going to take time. This is not an overnight fix because it might even require some, you know, professional help if, if you're ingrained in this, mm -hmm. but to set aside your self-focus and develop a posture of humility, that takes time. Hmm. Listen graciously to other people and then to be flexible in your thought patterns. I you know, obviously, as everybody knows, I used to be a firefighter and you talk about a bunch of guys that had a lot of pride and were rebellious. Um, I can remember there were some guys that they were trying to eat a little healthier. And so they would, <laughs> they would put like, just as, let's say for example, um, half of their, sirloin steak they were gonna throw it out or something and this one guy came and he just 
decided, oh, you don't want that. And he just would, he gobbled up everybody's leftovers just to show us all, mm-hmm. especially me, that, uh, you know, you could eat all the meat you wanted and, uh, and be supremely healthy. And uh, to the detriment of himself, right? And uh, I don't know where this gentleman is now, but I can remember him just always taunting, always teasing, and his pride got in the way. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so you mentioned this in uh, around pride, but family and social pressure is a real thing. Oh, man, this is one of the biggies, Rip. As you probably know, um, it's a very common hurdle because if your family isn't on board, sometimes it's easier just to join in than to stick with your plan, right? Especially if they're scrutinizing you or like your your friend was doing there, yeah. you know, teasing and taunting, uh, you can be made to feel guilty about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a toughie because um, especially if the family members, you know, are are not willing to work with you. So I always say the first line of defense is to have a frank discussion with your family and ask for their support, like really have a heart to heart talk. Explain what is motivating you to do this and assure them that they're not going to be forced to eat like you do. You know, this is something you're doing for yourself. Ask them for your support and then discuss the negotiables too. Like who's going to do the shopping and cooking? Will they be willing to store their unhealthy foods in a certain cabinet, you know, out of your sight? Would Mm -hmm. they be willing to join in with you once in a while if you make a stir fry? You know, will they join in with you at times? But all of those things things have to be discussed. Um, I know several families who are divided when it comes to diet. It's usually a husband and wife. And they have figured out how to make it work, you know, for the most part. Many people have gone through this trial and they have figured out how to make it work. But um, I always tell my clients that you can succeed on your own. You do not need your family's support in order to succeed. You know, there are support groups out here for you. It'd be lovely for support because then you're not fighting that battle at home as well. Yeah, I'm going to go back and just share share a story at the firehouse. So we had this a rookie that came through uh, for three months. He was going to spend three months at our firehouse and then three months at another firehouse because he had a six-month probation uh, when you're a new firefighter. And, of course, he didn't know what he was getting into when he came to fire sta- firehouse number, you know, number two that we were all you know, plan strong, but he quickly learned and we, he rotated through the, uh, the, the cooking and was by the end of his three months was just doing a fantastic job. And then he went to this other fire station for his last three months. And I asked him if he was able to keep with it. And he said, rip, he's like, no way. I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. I just want to get along. And so the last thing that I'm going to do is make ways by, trying to, you know, show these five to six other guys that, uh, you know, I'm somehow superior to them by eating this way. So it's, it's so much of it is, you know, I think your confidence, how you present this lifestyle to others, it's just a, it's a very complicated thing that each one of us has to kind of figure out as far as what works within our personality and the different situations that we are in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this would even apply to social pressures too with the people that you hang out with, right? That can be a time too when 
a discussion might be in order. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. This next one, this is <clears throat> that you've identified as a big barrier to change is emotional eating. What are your thoughts on that? Well, as an emotional eater, I have a lot of thoughts on it. <laughs> emotional eating is when we turn to food, you know, to deal with anxiety or stress or sadness or anger or boredom. For me, uh, if there's something I don't want to do, if there's some task I want to delay, my head's in the refrigerator. You know, that's a given. <laughs> that's one of my delaying tactics is to go look for food. So I'm a very emotional eater. And um, but, you know, you just learn how to work around that. So you have to know what your weak spots are. You know, what is going to cause me to go into the kitchen or to the drive up window or to wherever? And what am I seeking? Am I looking for sugar, um, you know, high fat things? It's usually comfort food. We're not on the hunt for broccoli, right? And rice. We're looking for <laughs> something that's going to give our brain a little dopamine hit usually. But figure out your weak spots and then figure out alternative coping strategies that do not involve food. So one, one would be if you're bored, right? I, I like to eat when I'm bored too, but instead... I'm going to read or I'm going to do a puzzle on my iPad or I'm going to find a new hobby that I'm going to get interested in. I'm going to go clean my shoe closet, you know, or something. Just figure out what it is that you're going to do instead of that knee-jerk reaction to go into the kitchen. Or if you're anxious, and this is another one, stress, you know, is a big emotional factor. I always advise to give yourself five minutes. Just sit down, stop right then, sit down. And let that emotion be front and center right then. Don't try to squash it. You know, just face what's going on, recognize what it is, and then realize that this too is going to pass, right? This emotion is going to ebb. And usually in five minutes, you'll see a big difference and you'll no longer be searching for food. Yeah. What are your thoughts on making your, your kitchen and your home a sanctuary where you don't have uh, as you said, let's just say the donuts, the ice cream, and some of those other foods that when you get stressed or, um, you know, you have an emotional event, you're reaching for that. Um, would do, do you think that's a good idea? Just have a, so it's not about willpower. It's just about, hey, you know what? If you if you feel like you got to eat for emotional reasons, you'll be eating a bell pepper and an apple. <laughs> It's critical, Rip. Absolutely. You have to sanitize your environment. You cannot have the crap in the house at all. It's bad, but if your family members have it there, you know, that's another, yeah. we just talked about that. Yeah. But yeah, no, sanitize your car or your office, you know, wherever you're working, wherever you tend to eat. A lot of people eat in the car, right? I, I like to eat in the car. <laughs> Wherever you eat, that that area has to have no junk foods in it. Yeah. I used to love Twizzlers. That was my big thing. Oh, red Twizzlers? Yeah, they're vegan. <laughs> and I would stand in the store and debate with myself, I'm going to buy that bag of Twizzlers and I'm going to eat one Twizzler a day. Well, no, I did not eat one Twizzler a day. You know, I came home and ate five Twizzlers. And then when I got upset, I ate five more Twizzlers. So I haven't had Twizzlers for years, but that was a thing for me. So you liked the red. You didn't like the black liquid. <laughs> Yeah, I like the red. So that's another thing, too, that I talk about. You either have to, when you're faced with tempting food, you either have to flee immediately or face it. So if you're in the store, you can flee, yeah. right? If you're starting to bargain with yourself over some junky thing, just flee, you know, just go. Yeah. 
And I, I have mental you. tips that apply to that too, which I could share right now if you'd like me to. There's one mental tip that works really well for would me. Lo- would love to hear it. Don't use the words, I can't have that. Use the words, I don't eat that. So when you say I don't, I can't eat glazed donuts anymore, you're limiting, that's, you're limiting yourself. It reminds you of your limitation. Like I can't eat that. I would if I could, but I can't, you know, so it's a limiting psychological thing. There's been studies on this. So it creates a feedback loop in your brain that you're limiting yourself from something you'd really like to do. But if you use the words, I don't eat glazed donuts anymore, that's a confirming, empowering way to say no. You've already decided that you don't eat glazed donuts anymore. You know, that it's already been decided. So walk away. You don't do that anymore. That has helped me so much. That one little tip about using the words I don't versus I can't. No, words are so powerful, aren't they? You mentioned, oh, yeah. you've, I've heard you say a couple of times, we, like with your oatmeal sausage this morning and some other things. Um, do you do you have a husband? Do you live with somebody? Yeah, my hubby Steve. Uh-huh. Yep, he's and he's on he's board on the same journey as me. He's been plant based. We're on the same journey, so he's completely whole food, plant based, no oil. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Fantastic. How long have you guys been together? Thirty three years. We were married in ninety, so this year will be thirty three. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. He's a man of great patience. <laughs> Good. Patience is a virtue. <laughs> Let's talk about this next barrier that you have. And we all know that this is big time real. And that is food addiction. Oh, man. Yeah. So food addiction is when we've lost control over the ability to stop eating those highly palatable foods. High sugar, high fat, high calorie density. So again, we talk about sanitizing your environment. That is crucial if you're struggling with a food addiction. And how do you feel about it, Rip? Do you think total abstinence, right? Remove all the addictive foods and go cold turkey? I know there's differing points of view on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think, it t- I think it depends upon know yourself. Also, it depends upon where you are on your health or your unhealthy journey. If mm-hmm. total abstinence is the uh, is the answer, I can tell you for myself, I totally abstain from all animal products, animal byproducts, right? Um, and so I only eat plant based foods. Now, uh, am I a hundred percent whole food plant based? No, I'm probably you know ninety ninety five percent whole food plant based. And there's times when you know I'll eat a uh, you know. I'll have a Ben and Jerry's vegan ice cream, right? I'll have a little bit of that or something else. Um, but for people that typically, for example, come to our medical immersion retreats, these are people that are unhealthy. We totally recommend total abstinence for them mm-hmm. because they've gotten in trouble because a little bit continues to feed uh, feed the monster, so to speak right? Yeah. We want to cut it off at the head. Right. I agree. If, if you're going to keep drip feeding that addiction, <laughs> it's going to be harder and harder to, to let it go. Drip feeding. That is awesome. That's a great way <laughs> of putting it. Yeah. That's I, tell, I was addicted to mocha lattes a few years ago, Rip, when I was writing my book. And I didn't even realize it till I wrote this chapter on food addiction. So I discovered that I was planning my whole routine about when I was going to be at that window to get that mocha latte. 
Yeah. It, I mean, I was ordering decaf coffee with plant milk and only half the mocha that they typically put in those drinks, but that was enough to get me hooked. So I, we'd be on a, a trip, you know, on the highway, my husband and I, and I'd have them go miles off the road, just, you know, miles off the highway, just so I could get a mocha latte at this, you know, popular coffee spot. <laughs> and yeah, he wouldn't you, do it. Yeah, you wanted that so fix. I'm writing the book and I'm thinking, wow, you know, scripture says that whatever we can't give into soon becomes our master. And I'm like, yep, mocha lattes have become my master. And so this has got to end. <laughs> so, so did this particular um, joint that you went to, did it start with an S or did it start with a D? <laughs> At that time, it started with an S, but I don't go to S anymore. I go to D. <laughs> Got, got you. Got <laughs> but just you. real plain, you know, nothing sugary. Right, right. Um, so <laughs> th this last one that I have is is one of the big barriers to making change is spiritual attack. Mm. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you know, there's uh, those of us that are in the faith, we recognize that we have an enemy that likes to prey upon our weak areas, especially regarding our health and food, you know, and convince us that we'll never change. You know, he's a very big discourager. But once we recognize that, um, again, we can win the battle between our ears, which is the mentality. Mm. And scripture mm. says, whenever you are tempted, there is a way out. You have been provided an escape route. So what is that escape route, right? If, if you go into the uh, meeting room at work and there's a box of crawlers there or some other, you know, donuts, What's your escape route is just to flee the area, right? It's either flee it or face it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in that, in that example, <laughs> let's, let's say that I'm going into a, uh, a meeting, right? It's a mandatory meeting of, you know, the, uh, the marketing team at work. Right. And I walk in and there's a big old table of glazed donuts, mm -hmm. right? Krispy Kreme glazed donuts. I'm not going to flee, but maybe what I use as one of your strategies as far as, you know, I, I can't, as opposed to, I can't eat this is, oh, there's some glazed donuts, but I don't eat glazed donuts anymore. Is that right? Is that right? And, yep. And the other thing would be to bring your own pumpkin muffins in there, you know, bring your own, don't sit there and be deprived, you know, bring your own healthy treat. <laughs> Here. <laughs> Here's my whole food, plant strong pumpkin muffins. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I totally, I, I, I hear you there for sure. Um, so speaking of pumpkin muffins and, and oatmeal sausage, I know that you have some simple recipes that you like to share with people when they are resistant to making this change. Can you give me some examples of some like tried and true simple recipes you recommend for people? Sure. Well, um, soy curls, for example. Are you a fan of soy curls? It's so funny because I've had at least three guests on the podcast that have mentioned soy curls in the last four weeks. So with Butler, I think Butler makes these soy curls, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't had them in ages. I think I had them maybe eight years ago, but I hear they're pretty, pretty good, pretty clean, right? Just like mm -hmm. soy flour, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hydrate a package of those. I put them in the food processor to grind them into a ground beef consistency then. Mm -hmm. Saute up some celery and onion. 
the soy curls and a homemade barbecue sauce and you've got sloppy joes. I mean, just simple, <laughs> simple things like soups that require, I've got a black bean soup that you don't even have to chop a pepper. It's all canned, three cans of black beans, a can of tomatoes, you know, and some spice. It, there are very simple recipes. I have a, a whole um, chapter on that in my book. I have a food plan that has a section of easy meals Steamer vegetables, right? Steamer rice, steamer vegetables with sauce. Mm, um, mm. Spaghetti with marinara sauce. I buy mine at Aldi. It's organic. It's oil-free. It's under $2 a jar. Wow. Organic pasta sauce at Aldi. If there's an Aldi near you. So you boil up some whole wheat spaghetti, put your sauce on there in a bag of steamer broccoli or some other steamer veggies that you like. So then you've got like a pasta primavera that you basically did nothing except boil noodles. Hmm. Delicious and very affordable. Yeah. And breakfast, would your breakfast of your breakfast suggestion to somebody that's trying this out, just be oatmeal, make it happen. It would, Yeah. Or a tofu scramble. I like, there's a roadhouse hash recipe that I really like, which is a tofu scramble. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, that's more involved, you know, than just heating, making oatmeal. But oatmeal is great. Yeah. Or leftovers from the night before. I know more and more people are eating leftovers for breakfast, savory things. Have you noticed that? I have. But usually it's people that have been doing this for a while. Yeah. Was what I find. Right. Um, what about salads? Do you have, what's your stance on salads? Definitely like them. I, to me, they're a lot of work. Unless you're going to buy the pre-chopped peppers at the store and the pre-chopped everything. To make a salad, I'll sometimes go, oh, I got to make a salad. Because <laughs> I like to load them up. You know, yeah. it's just not greens. It's peppers. It's everything. You know, it's beets. It's grapes. It's everything. Red onion. Yeah. But they are delicious. Yeah. I usually throw, throw a half a can of beans in there as well. I love butter beans. Mm. I love... Um, pinto beans, kidney beans in those salads. Mm, I like to make it big and muscular. Yeah. yeah. And then I try to make a lot at one time, like six, you know, six, at least six salads to serve between hubby and I. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes they, we don't eat them all. I have to admit, I sh should probably eat more greens than I do. I try to stuff them into other recipes Yeah. rather than eat a salad. <laughs> um, Sid, I really, those are, I like those barriers to, to change and how you addressed each one of those. Thank you. Are you, is there a show right now that you're watching that you're enjoying either on, you know, Hulu or uh, Netflix or Amazon, something that you uh, would like to share with us? Well, you're going to think this is funny right now. I'm watching my name is Earl, the series. Did you ever see that show? My name is Earl. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Do you recommend it? It's it's a com it's a comedy. He's a criminal that gets hit by a car, and while he's in bed, he learns about karma, and he decides he's going to make a list of every bad thing he's ever done and go back and correct it. So the series is about him going back to people that he wronged, oh, like many years ago. It, it's just hilarious. Yeah. Is it is it Netflix or Amazon Prime? Do you know which platform you're watching it on? Uh, yeah, no, I had to buy it through our. We have Xfinity. It was uh, on demand. Got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> um, well, Sid, 
this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I can't wait to have you on again to talk about some more of your topics that you talk about in the Plan A diet book. Mm-hmm. We just covered one of many, which is just the, some of the barriers to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you for what you're doing to help people get uh, get whole food plant-based, your commitment to this, and um, getting outside your comfort zone like you did with that book. Thank you, Rip. It's been an honor to be here today. I'm so glad yeah. we got to meet at PBNSG. Me too. Me too. All right. Before we sign off, you got to hit me with a little plant strong fist bump. Plant strong. You can learn more about Sid at her website, sidnotter.com. And that's spelled C-Y-D-N-O-T as in Tom, T as in Tom, E-R, Sid Notter. And I'll be sure to link it up for you in the show notes today so you can learn more about her work. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Plan Strong podcast. And even in the face of some resistance, always keep it Plan Strong. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, leaving us a positive review and Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.